Well, our scripture reading this morning, we're going to start where we left off in our assurance of pardon, verse 39 of Luke 1, and continue through verse uh, 56. But we're going to look in particular at Mary's song, verses 46 to 55. In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Amen. Congregation of God beloved in Christ, over the past two months, we've considered together a number of women whom the Lord determined to use as mothers in the ancestry of Christ. And it's been fascinating, at least to me, to see both the variety among the women God chose to include in the human line, the earthly line of His Son, and also the lessons we found both in the women themselves and in the children whom they bore. However, when we think of the mothers of Jesus Christ, it is impossible not to think of Mary. An unmarried virgin, Mary was easily the most unsuspecting mother of the bunch, and yet at the same time she also was the most suited, for none who preceded Mary could compare in terms of piety and devotion to God. Now, it's at least partially in reaction against the idolatry of the Roman church, which puts Mary nearly on the same level as her son, that we in the Reformed churches generally have not made much of Mary. But that's a shame, because... What Scripture reveals of her tells us that Mary was a godly and wise woman who has much to teach us. And so this morning we look at Mary's song, which is her confession. And in doing so, we see how God displays Mary as the mother of Christ, but also as the example 
of discipleship. God displays Mary as the mother of Christ and as our example of discipleship. And we see three parts in that song as we work our way through it. The first of which shows how she celebrates and how we must celebrate the blessing of our God. Now remember the setting to this, which we've just read. Luke told us how God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary, announcing to Mary that she had found favor with God and would bear a son. Now that that obviously left Mary a bit confused since she was not yet married, had not yet had relations with Joseph, but then Gabriel explained to her that this child would be from God. He would be called Son of the Most High, and he would rule forever from the throne of his father David. At the same time, he told her that her relative Elizabeth, despite her barrenness, despite her advanced age, she was expecting a child. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, in part because she wants to see this promise, this guarantee of the promise that had been given to her, but also in part because she wants to help. She wants to be there for her cousin or her aunt, Elizabeth. And now we come to that point where Mary has come to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, the mother of John, who would be the the herald The forerunner of Jesus, Elizabeth, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is led to declare how blessed Mary is among women and how amazing is the child whom she herself carries. Hearing this, Mary responds with the song, with the confession that is before us. And the first two verses of that song show that her overriding concern here is to glorify, to honor God. She expresses a concern that's not formal. It's not surface level in any way. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. She declares that, that what she's speaking, what she's desiring arises from deep within. God has planted within her the desire to speak the words before us here. Mary says her soul magnifies the Lord. That's a verb that speaks of increasing, of making something large. Mary longs to amplify the glory of God. His greatness must be emphasized. That is her whole purpose. That's her whole goal. Now listen, Mary's desire here is utterly contrary to her nature. To our nature. Naturally, in our sin, in the corruption we've inherited from Adam, we long to magnify ourselves. We long to brag about and glorify us. What Mary is expressing here, this longing to glorify and magnify the name of God, that is contrary to what man in his sin desires to do. But the reason she desires to do it is because she has learned to rejoice in God her Savior. God has become her delight in a way that no man, no activity, no pleasure on earth is able. God has become her overwhelming joy. Is that something you understand? I think even for those of us who trust in Christ, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the world, we get so wrapped up in the demands of the moment, we get so consumed with the things of right now, the tyranny of the immediate, 
that we forget to focus our hearts upon God. We forget to focus our hearts on what He's done and who He is and how He's blessed us. You understand, Mary, life was slower back then. She didn't hop in a car and get on a freeway and drive down to Judea. No. She probably walked. At best, she was able to ride a donkey, but very likely she walked. This was a journey of several days. She had plenty of time to look at the scenery. She had plenty of time to greet passers-by. And most of all, she had time to ponder what Gabriel had said to her and what God had taught to her and what the Word of God that she had heard from her youth growing up in the church, in the synagogue. How that informed her of the significance of what the angel had said so that by the time she gets to Elizabeth, having taken the time to ponder, having taken the time to dwell upon what God had revealed and what God was doing, she was overwhelmed in her heart with what God had done. Folks, that's how it happens. It doesn't happen in a heartbeat. Oh yes, I'm suddenly overwhelmed. No. It's as we ponder and dwell upon and spend time in God's word and in prayer and in communion with God that our heart becomes filled with our with love for him with joy in him with a desire to magnify not us but him when we spend our time Focusing on the hurriedness of the world and all of the things that we need to get done and all of the to-do lists we start to forget what really matters. We need to take the time, countercultural as it is, and as much as it might require rearranging our lives, we need to take the time to do what Mary has done and get away from all the to-do lists and all the busyness and focus on what God has revealed and what God has done that our hearts might be overjoyed in the Lord. That we from the depth of our soul might rejoice and long to magnify the Lord. You see, she, she magnifies the Lord. She rejoices in God her Savior. Why? Because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary has come to recognize who and what she is. Despite the lies of the Roman church that came about largely in the Middle Ages and after the Reformation, she wasn't sinless. Mary recognizes and confesses she was unworthy of God, unworthy of His love, unworthy of communion with Him, unworthy of His attention, certainly not worthy of this amazing honor that's been bestowed upon her. And recognizing, pondering as she has done, the amazing gift that has been given to her, that is what fills her with such joy and makes her so long to give God glory. Again, that is what we need. If we are to have the relationship with God that we were made to have, we need to spend time not just reading His Word, that's important, but we need to be honest about who we are. How unworthy, how sinful, how the, the desires and the inclinations that arise within us are ugly. 
Because it's only when we see the darkness, the depth of darkness that is within us, that the light of God's grace in Christ shines as bright as it should. And that we will sing with Mary, that we will ourselves rejoice overwhelmingly from deep within us at the fact that he has revealed himself to us, at the fact that he has worked within us, and that we will long to tell others because we'll be utterly overwhelmed. Can you imagine that God would love the likes of me? Can you, if he loved the likes of me, despite all that I've done, despite all that I have, have thought and, and how unfaithful I've been, there is no one... There is no one who is too far gone. You need to know the Lord. You need to know what He's done, what He's like, what He will do for you in Christ. That is the attitude that Mary has and it comes from taking that time to know herself and to know God and to truly ponder what He has revealed. At the same time, we recognize too that Mary was blessed in a way that was significantly different than the ways that we've been blessed. God chose Mary, called her, determined to use her in a particularly unique way. She would be the mother of the son who had no earthly father. She would be the one to bear the son of God himself who is fully God and fully man. What an astonishing blessing. And Mary recognizes that. And so she sings also that all generations shall call me blessed. And in this, we see how Mary discerns the significance of her son, which is our second point. Now, this, this is what she does in verses 49 through 50. And in those two verses, she declares three very significant things about what God is doing in sending her son. Now, in these two verses, we find three parallel statements. In the Greek, only the first one contains a verb, which grammatically means that that verb carries through in all three statements. The verb means to make or to do. So if I could render this very literally, she's saying, For the mighty one has made for me great things, and holy he has made his name, and his mercy he has made for generations of generations for those who fear him. In each of those three statements, she's declaring what God has done and why, because of what God has done, the generations to come will call her blessed. So look at what she's saying here. First, she emphasizes that God, in sending the Son, has done great things. Not, not merely the great thing of conceiving a child within her without an earthly father. That's great. But the far greater thing, the thing that, that fills the whole tenor of her song, is that he has resolved in sending this son, in what he has done in her, to reconcile the irreconcilable, to redeem a humanity that is hopelessly defiled. Our God has shown an immense power, an unthinkable power in sending His Son, for by Him would be accomplished a redemption that absolutely no man who will ever live would be able to accomplish. And it would come through God uniting the perfect nature of God with the broken nature of man. All of this would come through the womb of lowly Mary, a maidservant who saw that she herself needed the Savior who was to come, who counted herself unbelievably privileged to know her Redeemer so intimately. He is doing a great thing. 
For in sending his son, he has made holy his name. You see, God had promised redemption. At the very start, in the garden, he promised redemption. And countless times since then. But that was a problem. Because God is holy, and none of those whom he promised to redeem was holy. As the Holy One, God must require, as the one who's holy and just, he must require absolute perfection of those who approach him. To do otherwise would, to be, would be to render himself defiled, and this God could never do. And it would be to render himself unjust, which God could never permit. So our God promised from the start that he would utterly and completely deliver sinful unholy man from his sin and defilement. And it was to that end that he had sent his son. In this son, God the Father would do the impossible. He would restore man from his sin, perfectly fulfilling his promise, and he would do so in a way that would not compromise his justice or his holiness. That's how in sending the son, he was making his name holy. In perfectly redeeming Adam's fallen race. And so in the third place, he was using the Son to extend mercy to generations of people. Not only was Mary receiving the mercy of God, but also the generations to come who would fear the Lord. And also the generations preceding who had died trusting in the promises of the Lord. Mary sees that God didn't just send this Son to bless her. He sent this son to bless mankind. He sent this son to call forth a remnant from all of Adam's race. He sent this son to bring forth a new and true humanity. Mary's son was nothing less than the linchpin between creator and the creation. He was the necessary link between our holy God and his defiled image bearers. That was the significance of Mary's son. That was the significance of his birth. And so that is what Mary felt compelled to celebrate in this song. And so must we. We must never fail to recognize the significance of what God was doing here. He wasn't just sending a bunch of get out of jail free passes. It was more than that. God promised from the start what Adam and all who flowed from Adam absolutely destroyed the creation itself which groans in its brokenness. The relationship between God and man. We were made to have communion with God, but our sin broke it, made it utterly impossible. And we were made, we were created, we were formed with the purpose that we would exercise dominion over all the world in such a way that we would fill the world with the image of God, bringing glory to Him. And our sin, not just Adam's sin, but all of the countless sins that we committed since then, all of that made that impossible. We need to recognize it was all of that that Jesus came to overcome. It was all of that that Jesus came to eradicate. He came, he came to renew in us the image of God. He came to renew in us the ability to exercise dominion. He came 
to restore to us a relationship with our Heavenly Father so that once again we could come into His presence without fear and we could know Him and we could love Him and we could spread the aroma of His image throughout the world. He came to restore the creation itself. We, be, we see only the beginnings of it right now, but we do see the beginnings of it as God's people go out and make new that which they touch. It was all of that that God was sending in Christ. That's why we call Mary blessed because she was the the vessel through whom this glorious Redeemer, this glorious Renewer was brought. She was the vessel through whom God would make His name holy. She was the one whom God was using to do this great thing. And therefore she concludes by confessing the immense, the unthinkable grace of God's covenant. You see, Mary recognizes that God's covenant is what is being fulfilled here. His promise. Kids, you understand what a covenant is, right? It's a promise of a relationship between one who is greater and one who is powerless. God is the great one. He's the one who establishes the covenant in all of its terms. And we are the powerless ones who are at his mercy. And Mary recognizes God is fulfilling in her, through her, in her son, a covenant that is filled with an absolutely unthinkable grace. A grace, an undeserved mercy. that turns the world's expectations upside down. In this covenant, those who think they deserve much find that they deserve nothing. And those who know how little they deserve receive everything. It's the great unexpectedness of God's covenant that the first are last and the last are first. And it's of that that Mary sings. She declares in verse 51... He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Those who think much of themselves, God humbles eternally. And yet those who recognize they deserve nothing, he gives everything. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. The Bible is filled with testimonies of that, isn't it? Mighty Pharaoh who was so proud that his people regarded him as a god. Kings like Sihon and Og, expecting to crush the people of this foreign god. Confident kings like Rehoboam, the foolish son of Solomon. Jeroboam, who infinitely led Israel into idolatry. Belshazzar. Babylon's self-sufficient king. Each one thought much of his own wisdom. Each one relied wholly on his own strength. And each one was brought low by the omnipotent hand of God. The rich, she says, he has sent away empty. Like the rich man who scorned the beggar Lazarus in Jesus' parable. In life he was surrounded by good things and gave no thought to the poor who surrounded his house. But in death he was destitute, lacking even someone to get him a drop of water to quench his burning tongue. Or like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus so confident, so confident in his ability to do the right thing. But Jesus said, no, it's not just about doing, it's about thinking 
Nothing is as important as the kingdom, about doing away with all of that in which you trust. But he so loved his riches, he so loved his possessions, that he went away sad, lacking the one thing that was truly worthwhile. See, Mary saw that the old adage is dead wrong. God does not help those who seek to help themselves. God helps, God blesses abundantly those who see that they cannot help themselves. And who see that only God can help them. Quite the opposite of the destruction that he pours out upon the mighty and the rich. Is what comes to those who confess their humility. Those who like Mary are humble. God exalts. Think of the judge Jephthah. The outcast son of Gilead. A man who was cast away from family and friends. A man regarded as illegitimate by his family. Yet God called Jephthah and used him to deliver his people from their enemies. Or David. A man unimpressive of stature. Unimpressive of background. A mere shepherd. A man cast off by the king he helped to deliver. Brought low by the sins that he himself embraced. And yet a man after God's own heart. Because he saw his worthlessness. He saw his powerlessness. He confessed that his only hope was God. And so God exalted him and gave him promises beyond imagining. Mary sings, he has filled the hungry with good things. The hungry Those who know their need and who see how little they can meet that need. Those who are sick and see that God is the only physician who counts. Those who are weak and make no pretense of their own strength. Those who are children who stand before God their Father and seek from Him all they need. For these, Mary confessed, God is gracious to help. These He fills with good things. And really, when all is said and done, that was Israel. Israel was not a people that was impressive by any objective standard. I mean, God himself reminded them of that countless times in Deuteronomy. Before they entered that land, before they went in to possess this place where they would be judge, jury, and executioner of all these ungodly nations, God reminded them, don't start thinking too much of yourselves. Deuteronomy 9, verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget that you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. And he goes on to explain how weak and lowly they were. They were a people that came from two people. They were just one family. Brought forth in the midst of barrenness and old age. Sent down to Egypt because they couldn't provide for themselves. Just a small family. Enslaved there for 420 years. Delivered only by the hand of God because they were too weak to do it themselves. And then made to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because they were too stubborn and too low or small of faith to enter the land when God commanded them. Brought into that land only by the power of God, such that the first city that they conquered, they didn't even conquer. God conquered it for them while they stood there slack-jawed watching. And then throughout the history of Israel, we see 
evidence time and time and time again. Every time they started to get prosperous, they relied on themselves and they were brought low by their sin, brought low by their rebellion, brought low by reminders of their unworthiness until they relied on God and He restored them and He lifted them up until finally they had to be cast off in the exile, distributed among the heathen nations, made nothing. For 70 years until God by His astounding strength at an absolutely unthinkable or in an unthinkable way restored them from all of these heathen lands and caused them to be established anew in the land. That's the story of Israel. A people that were utterly unworthy, utterly unpowerful, utterly unable. And yet God takes this humble people and makes them the family of his beloved son. And folks, we are no different. We are the sons and daughters of heathens. Many of you are Frisians, the people who are reputed to have eaten their first emissaries of the Lord. We come from a people that are unworthy. And we ourselves are their offspring. There's nothing in us that makes us worthy before God. But if we acknowledge that, if we acknowledge that we are weak and He is strong, if we acknowledge that we are impoverished, that we are sick, that we are broken, that we are hopeless then He will enrich us. He will exalt us. He will heal us. He will make us richer than any man, woman, or child in this world could make themselves. That's what Mary saw and that's why she rejoiced. And folks, if we would recognize who Jesus is truly, if we would celebrate His birth aright, then we can't do so thinking so much of ourselves. We can't do so looking in the mirror with pride. We can only do so by humbling ourselves and acknowledging that God has done for us what no one else could do and He did it even though we deserved His scorn, His judgment, His wrath. Brothers and sisters, there are a whole host of things which our culture associates with the Christmas season and not all of them are bad. Matter of fact, many of them are fine. Beautiful trees carefully decorated that beautify our homes. Gifts that we give to encourage and bless one another. Time, time spent with family and with friends. Enjoying one another in this dark season. But when we look upon the clutter that fills our holiday season and we evaluate it all, here's what matters. Here's what matters. That we remember that God chose communion with us. That God sent to us the greatest gift that man has ever known. And that in doing so, in the midst of a world filled with darkness and death, He sent to us the light of everlasting life. He did it entirely without any contribution of ours. He did it entirely out of His grace in Christ.
the most significant thing we can do is confess Him as our greatest need, as our best gift, as our only hope. And remind each other that this is what matters, this is what endures, this is what is worth our celebration. And if we do that, if we remind our children and our grandchildren that that's the true gift, if we sing together with one another the praise of Him who has called us, then we will have the greatest celebration this world could know. Let us join Mary in glorifying our God, in trusting ourselves with joy to Jesus, her Son. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have given us the greatest gift. Indeed, it's greater than mankind could have imagined. And we are utterly and completely undeserving. Thank you. Use us, we pray, to magnify your holy name. Fill us with joy at the recognition of what you have done and cause us to confess with boldness and with openness that our hope, our help, our life are always and only in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.